In Mark chapter 8, verse 29 and 31, it says, But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Today, Jesus demonstrates the cleaning power of heavenly bleach. This is day 11. Welcome to the Journey Through Mark podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's Word. Together, we'll discuss the context and meaning of each passage and how the book of Mark can help us understand more about who God is and the story He's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to week three with Intrigued Brendan. That's right. I'm trying to figure out what the heck you're talking about. So is about everybody here. else who's listening. They're all like, what is I, wrong with it's this? It's got to be with the transfiguration This somehow, is the part where they turn this off. Yeah. But please don't. We're kicking off week three. I'm here with Brendan Lang, who wrote the commentary for Journey Through Mark. Hey. And Melissa Payne. Hi. Who works with students. That's right. And young adults as a pastor here. Hey, question for you, Brendan. Let's hear it. What's your favorite hike you've ever done? Oh, <sighs> Ah, lots of good hikes. Yeah. See, I knew you would like this. Yes, I love hikes. I mean, once I climbed up a mountain with Hayden on my back and Rachel, we did that in Colorado. It was just one of those memorable epic, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you to felt do like this a as real a man. That's right. I had this 25-pound Leading kid. a family. That's right. But no, I mean, the most beautiful. This was in Kauai. We did this about five, mm. six years ago. And there's that the coast. What do they call that? It's the part of Kauai that you can't drive there or whatever. Yeah, it's like from Jurassic Park. It's in like all those coves and stuff yeah. along the so, water. But you can hike it. Yeah. And there's like like a two hour hike, uh, like five, nine, whatever, all these long hikes. We did like the two hour one. Okay. But it's like so epic kind of walking that edge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And every time you kind of peek out because it's going in and out, you just have the most incredible views and it's like heaven on earth. There's a reason why people go here. And so that was a really special thing. Mm. See, and I thought that Iowa and, was heaven on earth. But and <laughs> I ran just... into someone I know on that hike. That yes. was the weirdest thing. So it makes it even better. Were yeah. they from we're Iowa? Friends. They're from Nebraska. Nebraska. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Wow. Went to college together. What about you, Melissa? What's your favorite hike you've ever been on? Yeah, so I've never been to Hawaii, so okay. that's not where my favorite hike is. Just noted. And I don't. If anybody's listening, who wants to take Melissa though. I would love to go, and I don't know if it's necessarily the most beautiful place that I've ever hiked. But we went out to Asheville, North Carolina, beautiful place, and I think it was like who I was with. Mm-hmm. I was with four or five of my really good friends, and we kind of just like took a weekend and we hiked several days, like in different places. But probably the most beautiful was a place called Max Patch. And you hike and you get around and you're up on this top mountain area and it's just so windy and it's like so powerful up there but like you worked so hard to get there and then you can see out like all over the city and I think it was more of the experience and not necessarily like I mean the view is beautiful but that's probably one of my favorite places Mm, what about you one of them was Table Mountain in South Africa Mm, it was pretty cool mm -hmm. hiking up to that yep but probably the most memorable one was actually at the Sea of Galilee there's this place where they think Jesus went up on a mountainside to pray yeah they say that yeah. multiple times in mm-hmm. most of the Gospels. And that's like where I think he was. But you can hike down. And as you're hiking down, you can like see the whole valley and you can see Magdala and all those areas. Yep. And you're like walking kind of through history because there's all these like homes like built into the side of the mountain where all the knights from the Crusades oh, like yeah. stayed and like yeah. hung out. I don't know. That was probably the there's most There's some memorable. cool places up there. It was really yeah. neat mm-hmm. just because yep. there's nobody out there. Nobody else wants to do that. So you're kind of alone walking through history. It was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed... Over time, Jesus hikes up a lot of mountains. Yep. They're not easy hikes either. I mean, this one, he goes up to Transfiguration. That's where he gets his clothes bleached. (laughs) 
heaven. There and, it is, uh, Brendan. The heavenly bleach purifying <laughs> yeah, everybody. I mean, it says in there, he's like, oh, we'll get into that later. Why don't you take us through our commentary for day 11? Day 11, a suffering Messiah. Today's reading represents a major turning point in the book of Mark. Up until this point, Jesus has spent his time in and around the Galilean countryside, demonstrating with great power that he is the Messiah. Now the book begins its second act as Jesus travels on the way to Jerusalem and teaches about the way of the Messiah. The episode in Mark 8.27-33 functions as a hinge between these two acts. In the first part of the story, Jesus asks his disciples a question, Who do you say I am? This is not the first time that someone has asked a question about Jesus' identity. Throughout Mark, people frequently raise similar questions. However, this is the first time that Jesus himself poses the question. He asks it in Caesarea Philippi of all places, a city that was named after Caesar Augustus and had a temple dedicated to the worship of the emperor. Peter's response, you are the Messiah, shows that Peter understands, at least in part, who Jesus is. Jesus is God's anointed king who would disarm the powers and authorities of this world. Peter's response is called the Great Confession. And while his confession is great, it was still a bit misguided. Following Peter's answer, Jesus went on to teach clearly what it would look like for him to assume the throne as the Messiah. Mark 8.31 says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. We shouldn't miss how startling this would have been to Peter. Mark says Peter was so disturbed that he rebuked Jesus, the same thing Jesus did to stormy seas and demons earlier in this book. Peter's rebuke reveals that he had a shallow, albeit popular, view of the Messiah. He was expecting a Messiah that looked more like a military general than a suffering servant. In our culture, we have our own shallow, if popular, views of the Messiah too. Some prefer to see Jesus without his cross. Others prefer to see Jesus without his kingdom. Jesus wants us to see that they go hand in hand. Jesus came to triumph over sin in all its forms, spiritual, sociological, political, and so on. He did this not by matching might with might, but instead by suffering as a servant on a cross. For day 11, we're reading Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through chapter 9, verse 13. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit in the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do you say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. What about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit the soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. 
And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain, where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first, and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Melissa, you want to take us through our discussion questions for day 11? First question. How would you answer Jesus' question, Who do you say I am? Second question. In Mark 8:34, Jesus says, "Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me." How does your life compare to Jesus's portrait of a disciple? Brendan, there it is. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than <laughs> anyone in the world could bleach them. I'll, I'll be honest. I had not noticed that. You pick up on things that I'm missing left and right. So. Whiter than anyone in the world could yep. bleach them. That is an Clorox interesting has no statement. match on Jesus. Yeah. Like, I mean, why do you think that Mark put that in there? I mean, probably just like couldn't look at him even. I mean, did they know what bleach was back then? Evidently, <laughs> that's what it means. But this passage is full of good stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. it's kind of the greatest hits of Jesus. Like, I haven't read through the Bible many times, like all the way, maybe two mm -hmm. or three times in my life. But I feel like I've read this passage a lot. Yeah. And it's kind of got the greatest hits of Jesus. Not so much of Peter. <laughs> Peter's having a rough go. Peter's, Not his finest I mean, he's moments. got he's got a few moments. It's all and then going it's, downhill. Remember we talked right? about that, right? It's like one step forward, three steps back yeah. for mm -hmm. Peter. But what all is happening today? I want to talk about this first story because this is not part of the greatest hits. At least you don't always hear this story, but I think it's fascinating where he has this guy who he heals him with a few steps. With a few steps, we we're talking about this. Like, how did this guy know what trees look yeah, like? So he's mm -hmm. got the blind man. He starts rubbing his eyes. Yeah. He spits and then he's on like, it. "What do you see?" And he says, "I see people like trees. They look like trees walking <laughs> like Lord of the Rings, <laughs> right? Yeah, got ants. There you go. Right. <laughs> Obviously, this guy probably wasn't born blind." He's seen trees because he knows enough to say they look like trees. Yeah, right. well, that's the difference question. between a tree and a human. So there's no suggestion here that he has always been blind. But what I think is fascinating. So this is the first time in the Book of Mark that Jesus heals someone of blindness. We're familiar with this idea that Jesus does this, and he does it in different places in different gospels. But here, this is the very first time, right at this turning point in the Book of Mark. What we're going to talk about the next few days is how Jesus is 
traveling on the way to Jerusalem. At the end of last week's podcast where he talked about how everything was downhill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he starts, he goes to Caesarea Philippi, which is the northernmost point of ancient Israel. Kind of right, a mountain-y Right area. alongside Dan. It's at the base of the Mount Hermon range. And there's debate about where he actually has this transfiguration. People have often said Mount Tabor, which is right beside the Jezreel Valley, which is, it's basically west of Sea of Galilee. Not an easy hike. Not an easy hike. <laughs> yeah. But I think more people would say it was probably Mount Hermon, which is like mm. the northern. Which has point, snow on it. Which has snow on it. This it's is so that high, high. That yeah, yeah. Wow. we have people who ski here and stuff like that. And that's where Caesarea Philippi is, so right at the base of this mountain. So he goes there, that's the highest place, and everything goes downhill. But this story, it talks about how this guy comes to see in two stages. And what do we notice in the very next story about Peter? They're at Caesarea Philippi. Oh, yeah, Peter sees who Jesus is. He comes to see who Jesus is. Right. He says, you're the Messiah, but it's almost as if he doesn't see clearly. He knows he's the Messiah, but he hasn't figured out what it means for him to be the Messiah. Mm-hmm. He's got the Sunday school answer down. Yeah. you're Je- <laughs> Jesus? Yeah. You're the Messiah. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's the answer. But then Jesus says, here's what it's going to look like for me to become the Messiah. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. It's I'm really be overt. Yeah. And he speaks plainly. Before he's spoken in parables. Now he's speaking plainly. Says very clearly, this is what it's going to look like for me to become the Messiah. And what does Peter do? Gets he angry. Them. He rebukes him. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Exactly. He rebukes Jesus. Sorry, I'm just going for the Sunday school answer. <laughs> I, I feel like this is a test and I'm just going to go with D, all of the above. I guess my point here is the story at the beginning of this next stage in the book of Mark symbolizes what we see now taking place. This person comes to see in two stages. Peter comes to see in two stages. Oh, he goodness. sees, but he doesn't see clearly. It's like he sees Jesus. Jesus is like a tree walking around. He's a Messiah who he assumes is going to be a military victor. Jesus tells him, I'm going to die. And Peter, he wants nothing to do with it because he has no room in his idea, his conception of Messiah for a crucified Messiah, for a Messiah who dies. And over the course of the next few chapters, we're going to see this over and over again. Jesus is going to predict three times very plainly on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross. Here's what it's going to look like for me to become the Messiah. He teaches about the way the Messiah, the way the Messiah involves dying on a cross. And it actually ends with one more story where he heals someone of blindness. We'll talk about that in a couple of days. Mark is really like a great writer. He's kind Mm -hmm. of got these foreshadowings all the way through. He's a better writer, I think, than people give him credit for. Wow. He's described sometimes as someone who back in, you know, whatever Roman times didn't have the same rhetorical power as maybe like Luke. Mm -hmm. But I still think for us, like there's a lot of art and structure and style that's there's a lot of thought that's been put into this for sure well for the first time readers though this is kind of weird all of this stuff is kind of weird but the transfiguration particularly there's something divine and mysterious about that that as a first time reader is probably really strange it feels pretty weird yeah so how do we read this as like a first time person if we've never read the bible before how do we approach this Understand that you might be missing some things, and that's okay. I miss things, and that's okay. I try to, you know, bring you along. <laughs> pick up on that's just, how we keep you around, Tyler. Yeah, uh-huh. Tyler actually knows way more than he gives himself. Credit oh, come for. on! Mm-hmm. But I'd start by acknowledging there's some things that are weird here. I don't understand them necessarily, and that's okay. It's actually better for us to sometimes read the Bible yeah. and assume we don't know what's going on. There are some things that scholars don't have figured out. And actually, things only come to light more clearly later on when things are discovered through archaeology, when we dig into extra biblical literature, things like that that help clarify what's going on in Scripture. So it's okay to say we don't know. Sometimes it's better for us to say we don't know than to make up answers. Well, I mean, this is like a supernatural yeah. event that's and happening. That's, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, you can't miss the big picture of what's going on mm-hmm. here. Yeah. He's on this high mountain, and they're having this whole experience 
experience. Two guys show up. If you don't know the Bible, you at least can pick up that these guys are big deals, Moses and Elijah. What's significant, I would point out about Moses and Elijah, is that these are two guys who have both had significant moments with God on mountains. And actually the same mountain. They both have God reveal himself. You see this in Exodus 34. Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. God's like, you can't handle it. (laughs) Here's my backside. Here's my backside. (laughs) And while God reveals his glory, you might say the backside of his glory, Mm -hmm. he still reveals who he is in character. This is what I call the creed of the Old Testament, who God is, what he's like. He pronounces his name, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, abounding love, slow to anger, this type of stuff. But he has this moment and then he comes down from the mountain and he's dazzling white. Mm -hmm. Elijah has an almost identical experience on the same mountain. Mm -hmm. And again, God passes by, reveals himself. And so all of a sudden, if you're familiar with scripture, that background should fill in our picture of what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Jesus is up on a mountain and now it's actually him revealing his glory. Before it was Moses whose face turned very bright. People didn't want to look at him because his face was so bright because of what he experienced from God. Now it's Jesus himself who is radiant. It's not a reflection of God. It's God himself, you might Mm. say, revealing himself. And so those are all things that are going on here. Peter doesn't know how to handle it. He says, it is good for us to be here. Some actually interpret that differently. Is it good for us to be here? Do we deserve to be up here yeah. and see mm-hmm. this? And he doesn't know how to respond exactly. Builds some tabernacles, which historically there was a tabernacle, which was the dwelling place for God. The Israelites made their own tabernacles, which were their dwelling places while they're in the wilderness. But there's a lot of ideas going on here. The big idea is that Jesus is revealing his glory very clearly. And while he's doing it, he once again reveals that he's going to be crucified and rise from the dead. Mm-hmm. And they still don't get it. I mean, I don't know if I would get it. Yeah, I would. would (laughs) You know, one, I've just hiked up a mountain that's really tall. This is a very tall mountain. Yeah. Like mountaineers would have to like prepare and train to do this today or they'd take a ski lift. Yeah, I imagine. Sir. I've never hiked. I've never been to the top of this mountain. I've only seen it from I've just distance, seen but pictures, I imagine but so. it's like a third of it is covered in snow. Yeah. So it's very high. So I don't know that I would get it either. I would just be like, what's going on? Toast. I'd be yeah. like laying on the ground, just like tired. <laughs> Hallucinating. <Yep. laughs> you mentioned something today, and this is probably true of the disciples, as you've just said, and true of Peter, even though he's claimed him as the Messiah. You said in our commentary today that we have a shadow view of what it might save us as a culture, or our Shallow view of view the, the Messiah. Messiah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But really just a Messiah is somebody who's going to save us. How do you guys feel like our culture has a shallow view of what might save us? So here's mm-hmm. how I look at it. I'd say the background I'm from, right? A lot mm-hmm. of times we emphasize Jesus's role as the Messiah as Jesus's role on the cross, which is what he's trying to help them see. But I think sometimes we limit it to the cross. Yeah, We think of Jesus as only dying for our sins and that's it. That's what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. He's come and he's died for my sins. I'm good. And that's all. You know, we just wait for heaven. And I would say there are others who they don't like the cross. They're not really comfortable with this Mm -hmm. idea of Jesus's death on the cross. And so they emphasize this kingdom aspect that we emphasize the teachings of Jesus. And that's all great too. But if you're missing the fact that he has to fix some of the damage that's been done in the world through his death, then you're missing, again, part of the view of the Messiah that Mark wants us to get. And I think for us, we got to bring them together and we got to understand that, yeah, Jesus died for our sins. That's really important, but he died for our sins so that we could become kingdom workers with him, which we can become partners with him in establishing the kingdom of God on earth. That's why he saves us so that we can be freed and then join him. And this is the commission he gave to Israel in the Old Testament. This is what God asked of Israel in the Old Testament. He said, you're going to be priests. You're going to be Mm -hmm. a holy nation. And the point is that God was choosing them, using them, saving them out of their experience in Egypt so that they could give the world a glimpse of who he is and establish God's kingdom on earth right there in Israel. 
I think, you know, we miss the fact that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. When you said that, like, it's just kind of bringing it all together that some people think he's just a good prophet, a good man. He came and had all these great teachings and we should follow him. But then there's somebody else, you know, that also came and did great things. But then it's that idea that he did die for us, but he didn't just die. He also rose for us, you know, Mm -hmm. and he did that all because he loved us. And I think a lot of times we see Jesus as like a genie and a lamp. When I'm in a crisis situation, I need God to show up and care for me. And then when I'm good, I don't really need him. Like I got this on my own and I do that as well. And so how do we begin to see Jesus as all three of those things Hmm. all the time? Yep. For me, even just in our church culture, we've done a really good job of setting up rules, Mm -hmm. systems, ways of explaining and teaching and showing people the gospel. But there's a reality of the fact that what Jesus did was perfect. And so what that means is that at times we're going to have to redefine and change the way that we view these structures, the way that we have set up all these rules and things. And that's often going to change with culture. And so just as much as our outside of church culture gets it wrong, we also have to ebb and flow and flex with them because what Jesus did, how he accomplished his mission is perfect and it is timeless. So we don't need to be afraid of having to redefine it. Mm -hmm. Those rules and structures, that's exactly what happens in Mark. Jesus comes to show how the systems that humans have put in place with good intentions have sort of failed what he is capable of doing. That's sort of a theme of Mark is he starts to tear down the systems that they've established. Yeah, so it's kind of like, even though Jesus never changes, he is the same. I think our view of him and understanding him and the more that we grow in him, that's when we're able to see different views of him and see him in a different way as we grow. And there's a security in that too, regardless of how uncomfortable we get with our systems Mm -hmm. and the way that we've set up church or the way that we explain this to people, Mm -hmm. Jesus is going to be the same. His teachings are the same. His kingdom is the same. What he did, his act of dying and resurrecting, that's all the same. So in doing that, one thing that stays the same is this idea that Jesus is a suffering king. You said this a couple of times, Mm -hmm. and we hear it at the end when he starts to speak plainly, is he's going to suffer. That's like his whole thing. Mm -hmm. How do we be like that? How are we more like that practically? How are we doing that? So he points to a few things, I'd say. I'd broaden it. Like the title of today's reading is The Suffering Messiah, Mm -hmm. because that's really what he says very straightforwardly. He also talks about how he's a servant. He also talks about how following him involves self-denial. That's what he does. Following him involves sacrifice. These Mm -hmm. are all types of things that Jesus talks about. And it's rooted again in what the Old Testament has told us that the kingdom of God is going to look like. Isaiah 40 through 55, we learn the good news. The kingdom of God comes through God himself, but the way it comes is through a suffering servant, Isaiah 53. So for us, it's living in ways like that. If we're going to partner with God, if we're going to partner with Jesus and establishing the kingdom of God on earth, if we've been made like kings and queens, we've been freed, liberated from exile, brought into his kingdom, then the way we help do that, the way we establish it is exactly what he says in Mark 8, 34. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And so it's living lives characterized by Mm self-denial. It's living lives characterized by service, the upside down kingdom of God, where we don't pursue being number one, where Mm -hmm. we don't pursue being on top. It's where we pursue being actually last and prop others up. And so I think like that changes how we do life at work. It changes how Mm -hmm. we do life at home. It's like, I'm going to be the first one to do the dishes, even though I hate doing the dishes. Right. (laughs) You really don't like doing the dishes. I don't. (laughs) I'll do your dishes. There you go. You can come to my house. (laughs) You be be the servant. But it's always choosing to do those things that others wouldn't want to do, and you're Mm -hmm. doing it for the benefit of people. 
you know, in scripture, it says that we're not promised this perfect life, you know, after we ask Christ to come in and change us and make us new. Yes, we are a new creation, but it doesn't mean, oh, you won't suffer. You won't go through pain. You won't have loss in your life. But I do think that in the midst of those things that are really, really hard and when we are feeling like we're suffering in certain parts of our lives, we're able to have joy in the fact of like Mm. his words and what he says is that he loves us, that he's never forsaken us, that he's walking with us and he goes before us and fights our battles for us. And so I think knowing that we're not alone in it can make the suffering a little bit easier. He empathizes with us. Mm -hmm. It's when he's crucified, he says these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. Well, that's not just something he made up. That comes from a psalm of lament. He's quoting a prayer that Israelites for generations had prayed, Mm -hmm. crying out to God in anguish and says, I understand what that's like now. Mm. And this is what makes him a perfect savior. He understands what it feels like to be forsaken by God, to Mm. feel suffering. Doesn't always fix our suffering, doesn't always fix our anguish, doesn't always make us not feel like God isn't saying, but it should help us recognize that, yeah, God actually has stepped into this world and has gone through everything we're going through. Right. Thanks for joining us for the Journey Through Mark podcast. If this is your first time, we're so glad you checked us out. Check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages. Visit our journey page at willowjourney.org and share your journey experience on social media with the hashtag WillowJourney. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check out willowcreek.org. We'll see you tomorrow.